we'd like to give a special thank you to PicoSupply.com for sponsoring our podcast. Welcome to the Homestead Podcast. You are joining co-hosts Carol and Jamie of TwoGalsHomesteading.com. If you found yourself here, that means you are ready to take responsibility for what you eat, your family's health, and your family's well-being while living a simpler life. You can do this and have fun, saving money along the way. Let them help you unleash the homesteader within. By doing more with less, you will gain what is needed to create confidence, impact, and change in your life and the lives around you. Let's start homesteading, let's start now. Hello, Jamie. Hi, Carol. All right. So here we are again. Another week has passed and we are going to continue with our food preservation. Um, Last week we talked about canning, freezing, and dehydrating. dehydrating. So today we're going to focus on pickling and fermenting. And they are a little different. A little different, but a little the same. Yeah, a little the same. They're very, very, let's say they're close cousins. The first thing we want to talk about here a little bit is that all fermented foods are pickled, but not all pickled foods are fermented. Yes. So what's an example of a fermented food? Fermented food. There's there's quite a few. Um, So top of the line, you know, people think sauerkraut. Sauerkraut, yep. Kombucha, kefir, kimchi, sourdough, um, apple cider vinegar, um, yogurt. Some cheeses are fermented. And um, miso. Miso. Miso is fermented soybeans. We were just oh, talking yes. about okay, soybeans yes, er, yes. before we went on I was there. like, okay, now what? I just totally blanked I've out there for a second. I've never had miso. Neither have I. But I've heard it's really supposed to be good for you. But then, you know, there's the thinking out there that soy is not good. So I'm not going, okay, I don't understand miso. And it's not, maybe it's readily available in um, an Asian market, but I just don't. That's I don't go think of a look for it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah, no. I wouldn't either. Yeah. It's so. like, do you like open a container and eat it? Okay, it better taste good coming out of the container. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, so so that's an area, if, you, if you're interested in miso, you have to check it out yourself. Okay, and uh, examples of um, foods that are simply a pickled cool. food. And now we're not talking about the pickles that you take the cucumbers from the garden and you put them in a jar and you put them in the canner. And you can those. That's not the type of pickling we're talking about here. We're talking about putting pickles in a brine. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that is a pickle. It is a pickle, but that's not the type of pickling we're talking okay. about. We're talking well, about doing like with a saltwater brine where you leave them sit. Um, or lime. Yeah. Or lime. Yep. I've never done that. You know, I've never used lime to pickle food. Okay. I don't, th- I have, I've never really pickled food. Mm. So besides like aware a re- of. <laughs> re- re- <laughs> my biggest thing is I do refrigerator pickles. Yeah, I do too. Um, so I suppose I do pickle to a point, but that when I've made pickles, I've always done the hot, do you do the water bath type thing and you put I, it on the shelf and that type of thing. I can't get a crisp pickle. So no, I quit doing that. Yeah. Um, Cause <laughs> even like, well, like I did refrigerator pickles last year and of course, you know, it's, they've been in the refrigerator nine months. And so I was going to freeze dry them. And I pulled the th- the thicker ones I sliced, they tasted good yet. But the thinner ones that I used a mandolin to slice them really thin, um, they were mushy. Okay. And so I ended up throwing probably three jars of those away. Because oh. I, yeah, it's like mm, slimy in my mouth. Nope, can't nope, eat it. Nope. I don't even no. think I could freeze dry that. I was and still say, eat it's not, it. not going to get better freeze drying it. <laughs> no. So. And um. so it's like, okay. So I learned that. So 
even though they still have shelf life yeah or a limit a limited yeah yeah. a limited shelf so that was but still those thicker ones you're like nine months you kept you kept a cucumber for nine months that's not so bad yeah so that's what that would be a pickling and whereas like my kimchi and my sauerkraut the longest okay the longest i've kept it is probably nine months because that's all as long as it lasts as but far as you mean consuming it. Consuming it. Because yeah. we ended up consuming it. But I don't mass produce that. You know, I don't make gallons and gallons of it like I used to. Where And then I would hot water bath them. Okay. And then I found out that it killed all the good bacteria. And it's like, oh. oh well, that, <laughs> that kind of defeats your purpose yeah. of what you were doing. Okay. So let's talk about yeah. pickling. My research told me pickling is the process of preserving food in either a salt water brine or in vinegar or lemon juice. Okay, I didn't hear lemon. I didn't find lemon juice, but that's wow. an that's but, an interesting concept. Yeah, that's that's what I read in a couple of different places. And the benefits are that it just simply um, extends the shelf life, and it also adds flavor and texture to whatever you have pickled. Some of the foods that I saw that you can pickle are cucumbers and cabbage, of course. Oh, yeah. you know, carrots, onions, pears, grapes. Mm-hmm. Fish, meat, and green meats. Those were the things I found. Okay. Fish and meats. Well, you know, pickled oh, herring. Yeah, okay, yep. That is something I grew up with. I can't eat it today, but oh. I ate it as a kid. Oh, I still but, love pickled herring. Yeah, I, I just I just can't. I don't know why, but... What's the smell? And we always had a jar of pickled herring. Yeah, my the, dad always, fridge. always bought some every year. Yeah. And so, and yeah, Christmas time about that was yep. usually a, a common thing that we had in our house. Let's talk about, do you have some information on um, pickling in vinegar? Um, yes, pickling with vinegar is a, it's, it's a quicker process. Whereas when you're using the salt, you know, if you're pickling with salt, it, you have to wait. You know, you put a pickle, if you're making a refrigerated pickle, you make it and you need to let it sit for the flavors to be infused into the food. And then whereas pickling, well, you do too with, you know, when you're pickling with vinegar, but it's a quicker process. You know, you do it in a day and it's on the shelf. <laughs> this is this is what I found. I found a, this simple recipe for pickling. And this is this is what it told me. It says, pickling. this is what you need to pickle whatever, if you want to pickle um, cabbage, green beans, radishes, carrots, beets. And it was simply, you get a pound of vegetables and a cup of white or apple cider vinegar, one to two teaspoons of herbs and spices, whatever you want to put in there. However you want to flavor it. They suggested black pepper, dill, mustard, garlic. Those are good, good starter ones. A cup of water and a tablespoon of sea salt. Okay. Boy, that's pretty simple. That is pretty simple. That's a very simple. And it said to slice, wash and slice your vegetables and make sure whatever you're using, that however you cut it up, it fits inside your jar. Oh, okay. You need to make sure it fits inside your jar. You pack your vegetables in with the herbs and the spices into the jar. You heat your vinegar, water, salt to boiling until your salt is dissolved. Then your brine is ready. Then you pour that liquid into your jar until all your vegetables are submerged. And then you leave a little space between the liquid and the top of the jar. Put your lids on. You let it cool at room temperature and you put it on your shelf and leave it for at least 48 hours. They didn't talk about putting it in a water bath or anything like that. I mean, because that's pretty much a, a pickle recipe. Yeah, it's a pickle right recipe. There, minus canning it. Yeah, because I, I could see that 
going in the refrigerator, I would not be brave enough to leave that set on my shelf just, for nine months. And eat well, it. no, it just it said wait on the shelf for forty eight hours, and then it will keep up to two months in the refrigerator. Oh, up to two months in the refrigerator. Yeah, okay, because you probably want it to pickle at room yeah. temperature. You probably don't want to shut that down. That would be my guess. Because that's like my fermenting. I mean, I have I made sauerkraut this weekend, and it's sitting on my counter to ferment at room temperature. Mm-hmm. It, um, you know, I like I said, I have not done the pickling process. Not where I thought of it this way. It's a little confusing to me. Yeah, the the difference between that and what you're pickling with vinegar. Yeah, because this one actually uses vinegar and salt. Most vinegar, most pickle recipes do have vinegar or sugar in them. Because, you know, if you think of a, you know, the pickles I've made, you've put some sugar on it, depending on, you know, if it's a bread and butter or... or a sweet pickle versus a dill dill pickle. pickle. Yeah. Anyhow. So, um, but, do you have anything else you learned about pickling? Um, water is important. The type of water you're using to oh, okay. Um, you want to make sure if it's hard, if it's hard water, or if it's heavily chlorinated, you need to um, either buy distilled water if you have heavily hard water. We have in this area, we have hard water. I don't know if you mm-hmm. have hard water here at the farm. Yeah, we have we have hard water. Well, we, everything's softened out here because we have softener, but we have a lot of minerals in our water. Yeah, so Kirkhoven does too. Uh, where is it? I got to find it in my note here. Or you can bring your tap water to boil for 15 minutes, cover, and then let it sit for 24 hours. You will detect a scum on top and a sediment in the bottom. Skim off the scum and pour the water into another container, leaving the sediment behind. So that's a way to purify your water, I guess, to make it because I know okay. the chlorine will soften. That's one. If you have oh, issues with, okay. um, if you are canning them, they say is that one thing. If you got chlorinated city water. And yes, that's what I was using when I've tried that in the past as I was just using city water. So, and then um, vinegar, you want to make sure your vinegar is uh, 5% acidity. So last year, last fall, I made apple cider vinegar out of apple scraps. And there's, you can't test to make sure that that's that 5%. You need that 5% to for the preservation process. Okay. And uh, I'm sure to, because there was one side, I, you know, we're talking numbers again. You know, they were talking percentages of, Salt. It was. I was looking at salting and stuff like that, and it and it was talking about the percent percentage of your, um, what your brine needed to be, what percentage of salt. And I'm like, okay, my eyes are glazing over. And I think most store vinegar yes. is at that five percent. Yes, but you know, if you if you're into making you know apple cider vinegar, and there's I'm sure there's other vinegars you can make. You you need to make sure that it's five percent if you're going to preserve food with it. Okay, that Maybe was one thing that, that I, strength. Okay, yep. And then oh, your salt. Your salt is important too. You want to make sure that it's not doesn't have any anti-caking things in it to keep it from, you know, sticking together, or it doesn't have iodine in it. Yeah, I was gonna say I know you need to use a pick, pickling salt. They yeah. sell pickling salt. Um, there's sea salt, Celtic salt, Himalayan salt, Himalayan salt, kosher salt, or you know what they call canning salt. Yep, can pickling. Pickling and canning, canning salt, salt, I believe, is what they and call. And so that that doesn't have any of the iodine or the caking. Um, and then they were talking about like kosher salt is a bigger grain because mm-hmm. I know you cook with kosher salt, mm-hmm. salt. Um, and that when and then if you're if depending on your recipe, if you're measuring a teaspoon or a tablespoon of kosher salt versus fine ground sea salt or whatever, your ratios will be different because of the size of the grains. Oh, well, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't either until I read that today too. It's like okay, and I do a lot of times I will use pickling and canning salt, especially like in my sauerkraut, my fermented foods, because I taste the difference. 
or even my family. My husband tasted I can one time with Redmond's real salt. And it tasted different than the pickling canning salt. Uh, I would assume it would because Redmond's got lots of minerals, minerals and, and stuff, stuff left in it. in it. Yeah, so yeah. we did not like that in our fermented foods. But I mean, personal preference. Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah. might like it. Yeah, some might like like that type of thing. So Anything else to add to pickling? Not, not that I can pick off the top of my head. I think you've got everything here in my notes. That okay. <laughs> you read <All> my right. <laughs> notes. <laughs> There wasn't a whole lot out there no. about pickling. I mean, I know my grandma used to um, make sauerkraut, and she would put it in crocks and stuff, but I assume that's fermenting and not necessarily yep. pickling. That's a fermenting, but it's kind of... And then she canned it. I mean, she canned yeah. it after that, but... Yeah, um, well, that's what I first, you know, when I first made sauerkraut, I was not into the probiotics and prebiotics and stuff like that. And so I did. I canned it because then it stayed on the shelf. But yeah, then I learned all the good stuff that's in it. And yeah, oh, I just made all this good stuff and then I'd go and kill it. Unfortunately. Yeah. It still tasted great because it was firmer than the stuff you could buy in the store. You know, more crisp and crunchy. But yeah, I let it sit for mm, six weeks or so in my pantry. Okay. All right. So, well, let's let's move into fermenting because we're a little bit more familiar. At least you are. You do, you do a lot more fermenting than I do. I make kefir out here. Yep. And that's about the extent of it. Oh, and we have kombucha yeah. right now. Rich, Rich works with the kombucha. See, I don't even think of some of the stuff that we actually ferment out here. Yeah. Well, before we move on to our next topic, I um, we are going to have a short word from picosupply.com. Family-owned picosupply.com brings small-town customer service to their online farm store. PicoSupply.com specializes in automatic waterers from top brands such as Mirico, Jug, Franklin, Trojan, and Ritchie, as well as other products for your operation. Find your farm supplies and automatic waterers at PicoSupply.com. That's P-E-T-E-C-O-Supply.com. PicoSupply. Let's talk about fermenting, and I'm going to kind of let you take the reins on that because you do do it more than I do. Yeah, and so I listed earlier the foods, the common foods usually thought of as fermented. The most popular or common fermented foods are the kimchi, the kombucha, sauerkraut, yogurt, miso, um, and some cheeses, you know, like Parmesan, uh, any cheddar, and then a sourdough and an apple cider vinegar are all fermented. And so is kefir. Oh, and kefir. Kefir. Let's start with kefir. Kefir, since you know kefir. Kefir is a fermented milk product. Um, you get kefir grains. I have no idea where kefir grains come from. That I, that I can't I, answer uh, either. I got I, mine from you. <laughs> <laughs> and I got mine from a, a homeschooling mom in Wilmer who advertised them way back in the 90s. And it was like, um, well, I shouldn't say, yeah, it was in the 90s. She had extra grains and she was giving them away. Yeah, she, oh, I wonder if it's my friend, Jesse. That sounds familiar. She's got long. Dreads? Yep. Yep, yep. that's my friend, Jesse. Yeah, that's where I got mine from. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, that's where they came from. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And yeah, that's where I got my. I shouldn't say the 90s because we were already living out here at the farm. So that would have been in the early 2000. 2000s. So so that's, that's where so, I started. Yeah. Find them. Usually you find them from friends that are making kefir and because we're always you're always having a customer coming along going jamie got after grains yeah <laughs> yep because the, the the grains actually grow, grow and multiply as you're using them so you always have more it's kind of like sourdough sourdough eventually you have too much sourdough yeah you know because you you got your waste and all that kind of stuff and it's not quite the same as kefir 
kefir grains, but there is there is water kefir too. Yep. There's water kefir and, and milk kefir grains. Well, no, I've see I haven't delved into a lot of the you know to making the different kind of kefirs. You can use the same grains to make water kefir, coconut kefir. But then you've got every now and then you've got to take them and put them back in milk. If I understand and remember right. I had water kefir grains out here. We did not like water kefir. And they look different than, than oh, milk grains. Yes, okay. they do. They're more, they're a little more translucent okay. looking. We did not like it. I've never done Rich, it. Rich called them gerbil brains, if I remember <laughs> right. For We like. Should say we should. I shouldn't say we like kefir. We tolerate kefir, kefir in our yes. diets. Um, I can't drink it straight up. That's not something I can do. It's I gotta have a, something in it. It does oh, not no, work for me. It. But you know, I don't really I like yogurt it. either. So yeah. So, but I can chuck. I can open a jar and chuck it. And my husband just looks at me about gags. But <laughs> but I know. And I drink it for the health benefits, not so much for the flavor. And and so so back to the process. So you have to you have to get some kefir grains. You can buy them online. You can buy dehydrated ones. You can buy um, freeze-dried ones, um, but they don't multiply and grow. Like they, they peter out after about seven gallons, yeah, I you, think. I was going to say, you can also buy just a powder and yep. just put it in, in it's just a one-time use. Oh, okay. Um, I, where I, you don't have grains to keep going. Yeah. Um, well, I've seen it where you can do it. It's a freeze-dried. I think it's freeze-dried. And you can do it like yogurt, but then it eventually peters out. Especially if you're using raw milk. Yeah, if you're using raw milk. Oh, the, it, uh, it peters out because the natural bacteria that's in raw organic milk will overpower the yeast and stuff that's in the kefir grains. Yep. So, yeah, if you want to keep if going, yeah. you really probably need to purchase kefir grains. Now, I've had some of my milk customers purchase kefir grains online. Okay. So, I'm from Amazon or other places they tell me it comes and there's a powder that's supposed to help them grow and stuff. And I bet there is at least a 50% failure rate with those. So I don't know if they're just not doing it right or what, you know, I've always dealt with live grains. And so I don't know, you know, if somebody knows there's a trick to this or whatever, because I don't always have extra grains um, no, for, my, for my customers. I don't use a lot of kefir. And so I probably only feed mine once a week, once every week and a half or so. Mm-hmm. So they're not, they're not multiplying. You know, if right. I need to, I, if somebody needs grains, I need a couple of weeks to like really like go through and beef them up and, you know, right. overfeed them. Right. Exactly. That's kind of kefir in a nutshell. And we need to do an episode on just kefir yeah. and utilizing kefir, how to make it. And cause there's a, there's kind of a recipe. There's a ratio you need. Oh, um, there is? There is, yep. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but... Um, oh, I know. It's usually... Are you talking about it's a tablespoon of kefir grains yeah, per yeah, ga- we, for cup of milk or whatever so? Whatever it is. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what it is. You have to wake up the grains and there's a whole lot of there's a whole yeah. lot of stuff goes with it, but we, we should do an episode just on kefir and how to make it and how to use it yeah. and how to use it in your diet and other places... Okay, let's move on to another fermented food. Let's talk about sauerkraut. Oh, sauerkraut. I look at sauerkraut as one of the simplest foods to ferment. All you do is take a head of cabbage, and it, it, it could be that just that basic, a head of cabbage and a jar. You can get a culture to help speed it up, or you can just use the salt and cabbage to make it. So all it is is you, is it three tablespoons per the, Ball canning book is three tablespoons of canning salt per five pounds of cabbage. 
And all you do is shred it either with a food processor or a knife. I do it with a knife because we like it a little chunkier. If you do it with a food processor, it gets, it's finer, of course, and it ferments quicker, I think, and can get soft. If you don't, if you like the crunchy sauerkraut, you don't want it to let it as ferment as long. Okay. And so that's all I do is then you, and you chop your cabbage, salt it, Leave it sit for a little bit, you know, toss it with your, I just get like my Like in hand, a big bowl. In a big bowl. And I just, you know, I just toss it with my hands, leave it set for a little bit. And then I start make, uh, putting it in a jar. And then you're going to want something that you can get and push the, sorry, the cabbage down into your vessel. You know, if it's a crock, it's real easy. You can use your fist, but like um, I will use like half gallon jars or a gallon jar. And I have a wooden um, it has a name. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what it's yeah, called. Yeah, it's a wooden <laughs> baseball. Oh, I've, seen it, I've seen it done with a baseball bat. Whereas, you know, they were doing a huge crock and mm-hmm. they were using a baseball bat. But it's a wooden object. You can do it with a spoon if your hand fits in. You know, like my hand would fit into a gallon jar mm-hmm. or into a half gallon jar. No problem. You're a guy. You're going to have to figure it out. But you need something so you can push it down in there. And you just, yeah, you put a, you put a few handfuls in and push it down. Push it down. Put a few handfuls in and push it down. Um, pack it into your jars and then um, you're going to want you want to leave it sit a little bit and see how much liquid comes up and if you don't get um, if it doesn't produce enough liquid by itself you need to make a brine you need to make a salt brine and you need to top it off because you want all your vegetables under the water and so the easiest oh I should have said the first thing you should is take a couple of the outer leaves off before you start cutting it up because once you get it all packed in there and you want to leave a good inch to maybe two inches of headspace and you're going to take one of those leaves and you're going to rip it and you're going to use that to push all your vegetables under the water level. It's kind of like a little cover. Yep. And then you're going to want to weight that down. Either you buy the glass um, pickling pebbles, they're called, to hold it all down. Or, I mean, this is how I started it and I was taught you take a food grade Ziploc bag, fill it full of extra brine and you put that, you weight down like a, if you got to like, if it's big enough and you get a plate in it, if you're going to do a five gallon bucket, you put a plate in there and you weight it down. Um, and you might need to fill like either a quart jar with more water for a weight, <laughs> go out and get a rock. When I first yeah. did it, I went out and got a rock and scrubbed the snot out of it and bleached it and um, rinsed it, it off. And that was the weight on top of my plate. But then I did use like a gallon Ziploc bag on a five gallon bucket to seal it. And then weighted that bag down. And you want you want to put brine in that bag, not water. So if it pops or pokes a hole in it, that you're not watering down your sauerkraut. That makes total sense. Um, if you're using a culture, like I do now, um, it's done fermenting in three, four days on your kitchen counter. And you can take it and put it in your refrigerator if you're not going to can it. Um, but if you're going to do it with just a salt and no culture, you need to leave it sit for six to eight weeks. And I would start tasting it after maybe a month. Do you get any scum on the top? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It may develop scum. And it's a harmless yeast. And you just scrape that off and throw it away. And if because of the bubbling process from fermenting, it will push food up. And so if some food comes, you want to check it every few days. If you got food that's coming up above the water line, you want to push that back down under the water. And if it starts to look funky, it's not bad. 
you just scrape that off and throw it away. So that's a different thought process there. Oh yeah, you know that you know to watch that and it's like mm-hmm. and so you this needs to breathe just like Kiefer does. Yep, it needs to be able to breathe. You can't seal it. Yeah, you don't want it sealed shut. No, you it can't has- put a lid on it and forget it. And that's another thing. Um, I put a tea towel over it. Like if you're gonna do the five gallon bucket and set it on your back in your pantry or whatever, you're gonna want to cover it to keep flies and dust and everything mm-hmm. out of it so i would always put a tea towel over the top just, of it. it just needs to be able to breathe yeah it needs basically. to breathe just like kombucha if you're doing that and then you can okay so you do the five gallon buckets and then you can go through the process of canning it and make it shelf stable if you don't have a refrigerator space so now i choose to do smaller batches so that it can sit in the refrigerator and you just do it more often i do it more often and i will do it with store-bought cabbage this time of year because i don't grow cabbage I don't have the space to grow enough cabbage for our family. No. And, you know, and sometimes you just have to buy it, you know, from yeah. the store or farmer's market yeah. or, or what, what have you. We should mention that we've been contacted by Holly Howe from makesourcrot.com. We're going to do an interview with her here when we can get it scheduled. And um, she's sauerkraut making expert um i've listened to a couple of her other interviews on other podcasts oh, okay. and she's very interesting to listen to and teach us a little bit about the hows and why we do what we do and um so she should be really interesting explain Make why sure. i'm doing what i'm doing <laughs> um, that'd be funny yeah, somebody, <laughs> yeah explain why i do this yeah, to I, me. I just do it because i was told to this is and how <laughs> i was taught this is how i was taught and this is why i do it do we always know why we do it no not necessarily so it should be interesting to um, interview her and um, see what good stuff she can tell us about making sauerkraut and fermenting some foods. What else do you want to talk about as far as fermented foods? Yogurt is probably pretty common, although yeah. people probably don't think of that as a fermented food. No, they food. don't. Um, and it is. It's another fermented Milk. dairy product. Um, and it's fairly easy. It's not as easy as kefir. No. Um, but I think it's more common. Yeah. And, you know, if you've ever looked at the ingredients in, in yogurt from the store, there's a lot of stuff. There's extra things in yeah, there that you really don't need. That you don't need. Um, you can make a much cleaner product by making your own yogurt, but it does take a little time. Yeah. And, and if you have an Instant Pot, I, I'm told that it's really quite easy in an Instant Pot. Yes, it is. I've made it in an Instant Pot with our with our raw milk. And um, the it's only little, thing... It's a little challenging with raw milk. Yes, it is. Because the if you don't, if you want to keep all the good properties of your raw milk, you don't want to heat that. Because yeah. they suggest you heat it up to, I believe it's 180 degrees. Yeah. And then you, you bring it back down to about 110. And then you put your culture in and then you let, let it cook go. away. Yeah. I mean, the Instant Pot, that was when I did it with the Instant Pot, I simply put my milk in, put my culture in, and I let and I turned my the Instapot on and let it do its thing. I did not have to pasteurize my milk beforehand. And you end up with kind of a runny yogurt yeah. when you do that. And so if you're looking for something that's thicker or whatever, I wouldn't recommend doing it that way. I would recommend that you make your own culture. Yeah. By taking your milk, your raw milk, pasteurizing it making yogurt the traditional way like they tell you to and then put that stuff on reserve and then use that as your culture for your raw milk. Yeah. Um, and then when you're running out, you make another, you make make another, another batch cult- or whatever. It does yeah. a little bit better because when you just throw, like what I did is I simply bought Stonyfield yep. whole milk yogurt from the store 
and I used a portion of that in with my raw milk um, as my culture. And the raw milk, because it's full of bacteria, once again, you've got that fight going on. Yep, and um, the raw milk bacteria, I'm mm-hmm. assuming is stronger. I assume so. And it's going to overpower the yeah, yogurt. It, yeah, it can. And so you don't end up with a thick yogurt. And of course, you can always strain the yogurt. But I'm t- now I don't eat a lot of yogurt. I just did it as just to see how it worked. And um, my customers tell me that you end up with such a runny yogurt. And then if you strain it to get it thicker, you lose so much of your the yogurt in the way that they don't like doing it that way. Now, I've talked to... Kelsey, we're going to bring Kelsey back in here. Um, And she's been playing around a little bit with making yogurt. And she has brought the milk, the raw milk up to 120 degrees and she's gotten it to work. Okay. So she's not doing it enough to kill everything. Right. And she was just using um, Stonyfield yogurt from the store. That's what she was using, the organic um, whole milk plain yogurt. yogurt. You don't want any flavorings in it. So you don't want vanilla yogurt. You want plain yogurt. And she said that, uh, let's see how, I'm not exactly sure how she did, but she brought it up to 120 degrees. And um, once she had it done setting, she put it in the refrigerator, let it cool completely down, brought it back out and used her immersion blender and got it to be just as thick. She sent me a video and it's just as thick as store-bought yogurt. Maybe not like Greek yogurt, but you know, your yo plays and all that kind of stuff. But even Greek yogurt, it's strained. That's why it's that Mm -hmm. the difference between regular yogurt and Greek yogurt is that they've strained out some of the way. Right. Um, And so she was, she was going to write it all down for me. (laughs) And um, she's, life has gotten busy for her and she just hasn't gotten to that, but um, totally understand that. And so she said, and she didn't add anything um, as far as, you know, some people say add some beef gelatin to to help to make it thick. Um, And she hasn't, she hasn't done that. She just did straight milk and this and so it'll be interesting to see what her whole process actually was yeah. that's just kind of the highlights that she gave me oh see so, i can follow that <laughs> yeah say so, you know you know if you if you're into making yogurt but yes yogurt is a fermented dairy product yep. if you want to follow kelsey or ask her some questions about her making her yogurt this way um you can find her at dfarmstead.com and she's also on facebook and instagram under the same name She's yeah. a nice resource. That's where I got my cottage cheese recipe that I like. And so that's based, that would be, the clabbered milk would be fermented? I would assume. I would assume my ferment, my clabbered milk. It's just, it's not very, it's not a very common process. But you um, want to talk about easy. Yeah, that, yeah, clabbered milk is even easier than, than kefir. And I mean, it's just, once again, it takes time. Yeah. yeah you you it think about it, it's like, a, if you want to make lasagna next week and you need cottage cheese or, um, so you have to take your milk out of your freeze refrigerator now so it can clabber or ferment mm-hmm. for three to five days. And then you need to, um, then you need to bring it up to 115 to 120 degrees, strain it, and you have your cottage cheese. Now it is a very dry cottage cheese. And so like I made lasagna with it two days ago. And so when I went to mix it with my eggs for my lasagna i added some cream back into it because that was very dry and i'm like oh that's not going to go very far so let's talk about sourdough there's another one people probably eat sourdough and i mean sourdough kind of should give you a hint that that's probably a fermented Fermented food. food yep and um you can make your own sourdough starter with flour and water i tried it once and got a mold (laughs) and so then i went no we're just gonna buy it so i bought one um I was reading somewhere that San Francisco, everybody hears about a San Francisco sourdough. Um, it is over, I don't know how many, how many hundreds of years old that that's where they started it. And they've, of course, they've just kept it going. That there is 
sourdough that starters that are over a hundred years old. I'm like going, that's amazing. Yeah. But then I sit and think mine is probably 10 years old, mm-hmm. you know, and there's times it's going really strong and there's times like now it's taking a deep sleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard that too from people who make uh, sourdough. They're like, okay. Then also it's like, okay, we're kind of sourdoughed out at the yep. moment, you know, or, um, but I will tell you that Kelsey, I'm bringing Kelsey back in here again. Um, she actually sells dehydrated sourdough starter. Yep. And so if you're interested in that, she does have a farm store. And you can go to dffarmstead.com and um, order it off of there. I yep. don't know how her supply is right now, but I do know that she does offer that. There's one place you can buy from a small business and yeah. not your big Amazon or whatever type thing. Let's talk about yep. sourdough and what happens to it. Yeah, um, so when I bought my sourdough yep. starter, um, I bought, it was a San Francisco and I can't remember, was it Dutch, New ne- Netherlands, you know, they had mixed, this person had mixed it together. And that's great. When when I bought it, that's what it was classified as. But now it's been in Minnesota for 10 years. Now mm-hmm. it is Minnesota sourdough <laughs> because whatever environment, it picks up the bacteria and yeast that is in the air of wherever it's living and becomes its own thing. Mm-hmm. And so my sourdough starter and my bread will taste totally different than if it was made in San Francisco, Europe, Southern. Min- yeah, it's all different. Wherever you eat it, the region, the bread is going to be different. You're seeing more and more sourdough in stores. This is true. And um, But you need to truly look at it and see if it's truly a sourdough. Because look at your ingredients again. And it should have water, flour, salt, and maybe some honey, a little sugar. It shouldn't have any words that you can't pronounce. You should be able to pronounce all those words, and it shouldn't um, have a handful of, you know, it shouldn't have 10 ingredients in it. Okay, and just it, remember when they they write enriched bread flour or whatever, there's a lot of ingredients listed behind that. I think they have to technically list that yeah, they because do. it's part of the flour and probably part of your flour too that yes. you use. Yeah, and I just um, don't know it. Yeah, you just don't know that, but um, keep that in mind. Yeah. That anything in a parentheses is yes, included in, in that flour. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it should be flour mm-hmm. and then whatever's in that flour, but then, you know, a starter, salt, water, you know, is all, it's not mm-hmm. it's not 15 ingredients. And um, sourdough, you know, most of your, your fermented stuff, you know, like, like kefir and um, sourdough and stuff, it's usually something that your starter can be put to sleep. You yep. mentioned putting it to sleep. It can be put in the refrigerator, but you can't necessarily forget about it forever. No. It's, it's not necessarily that stable. <laughs> no, eventually you need to bring it back yep. out and it needs to eat. You can kill it. I mean, Jill, Jill Winger from Homest- our Prairie Homestead talked about last summer. Her life was crazy and busy and she apparently must have had hers on the counter and she killed it. So she had to restart it. Uh, I've put mine to sleep for three months or so. <laughs> okay. Well, that's not bad, though. I mean, really. Yeah, but, I've never gone I mean, through more than three months, I think. But it takes a little bit to wake it up then. I, I, I will take a week to wake it up. Yeah, I was going to say, because it's, it's a whole process with the fermented foods like that. I mean, even like your kefir grains, if you decide to put them away for yep. a while, you bring them out, you have to wake them up. And so fermenting is a, is, is a timing thing. Yeah. You know, there really is a timing thing and... For most of that stuff, you need to have some space in your refrigerator. Yeah, or to, a second refrigerator. Yeah, you know, or what? Yeah, and you know, whatever, whatever. You know, if you're having, you got two refrigerators, the beer fridge, whatever. Yeah, you know, take over um, your husband's yeah, beer fridge. Yeah, you you need to be able to um, sometimes put that stuff in so you can stop that 
fermenting yes. process. Yeah. yeah, you want to slow it down. You don't necessarily stop, stop it. it. Yeah. But most of those fermented foods also eventually run out of energy. And that's why you talk about feeding them. You need yeah. to bring them out and wake them up or feed them again because they need, even if you're they're not gonna, living still. Yeah, even if you're not going to use them and you know you're not going to, you know, I've done that as like my sourdough daughter. I'm like, okay, it's been a month and a half. I, I will pull them out and not even, I will open the lid. I will throw some flour and some water in there and stir it back up with no intentions of using it and shove it back in the refrigerator <laughs> because I know I'm not going to take the time at that point in my life to, to okay, do it. Let's talk about. Look, if I want to make a loaf of sourdough bread, how much time am I looking at from, say, my starter's already just sitting on the counter and it's all ready for me to, to start use. the process. So if if you've got ready to go sourdough starter, you're looking at a minimum of two days. Okay. I was going to say, I was, I was I've thinking done 18 hours, but okay, it's even a little bit longer than that. It depends. Yeah, it depends. It depends on the recipe you're using. Okay. And the temperature of your environment. In the wintertime, it's going to take longer. Because you need to let, you usually let your dough double and depending on temperatures, how long that's going to take. So it's kind of a slower process than when I make just regular old bread and I, it rises, mix it all up and it rises twice or whatever in about four hours or so I have bread. You know, that's the beauty of the instant yeast and stuff like that. But I'm thinking of this one website. Um, he's actually from Greece, I think is where he's living right now. He like does a no discard type a recipe where he makes just barely enough starter to do his. He makes a loaf almost every day. His his starter is very active then. And so he will, the evening before, he will mix up his starter. He will leave it set in the morning as he's waking his daughter up to get her ready for school. He will mix up the loaf of bread and leave it set until that evening. Then he will shape it in the evening, leave it set overnight and then bake it the next day so what is that 24 About hours 24 hours 24 hours maybe 30 yeah, yeah. 36 hours and so yeah it's not a fast process mm-hmm. and that's also it is, is developing your flavors and that's where um, you're getting the yep, sour taste yep and you know you're not you're not making a yeast breads per se where you like you said you throw in yeast to help get it to rise yep. you're using you're giving it time to to uh develop its de- flavor yep i mean i've done that before where i've like made an extra Pizza dough. I've done yeah. this before with pizza dough. I make extra pizza dough, so I just throw it in the refrigerator and use it the next day. And I can tell that that it's that aged. is actually aged a little bit. It's got a little bit of a a, a soured more yep. flavor to it because yep. the yeast have been sitting there for a while. You know, I didn't do anything with it. It's not a sourdough. Mm. It's just a basic pizza dough recipe, and it does it does taste different, and the dough does act differently too. Yeah. It, yep. So basically, you're you're moving towards a sourdough because mm-hmm. um, I'm sure majority of people have heard about the artesian bread in five minutes a day book. I don't know if that's the exact title and the I can't the author's names are blanking on me right now, but they say the same thing. It's where you're making up enough dough using yeast to make five loaves, and it's not that it's made in five minutes a day. It's like five minutes on hand time. So you you mix up a master batch in a large container put it in your refrigerator to rise and then it will last like two weeks in the refrigerator. And so you've slowed down the fermentation process, even with a yeast, you know, the day when you want to make, you pull it out, cut off a grapefruit size, and then you make a loaf of bread, let it rise and then bake it. So it's basically the same concept. Mm -hmm. And they say, if you don't wash that container, when you go to make your next batch over time, you will get a sourdough taste. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. 
I've done that a little. Uh, I don't have room in my fridge to. <laughs> no, to do you do have cheese? Kind of you have cheese. Yeah, I've got lots of cheese in my fridge, so I don't so, have room. But, but I know one thing. Um, I don't think we've mentioned is that all these foods have in common is they've got probiotics uh, in that's them. That's what I was thinking of. Is that we should talk about why you want to eat fermented, fermented foods. foods? Is because they have probiotics in it, and it's good for gut health. You know, in in our world where we eat a lot of processed foods, where a lot of the fiber is taken out of the food and so your body's not taking it in whereas the probiotics are the organisms and bacteria that will make it into your gut and so survive through your stomach and make it down into your intestine and they'll help you absorb more of the nutrients in your food but with our sourdough even though it's got uh, when it's fermented and it's got probiotics in it and when we're baking it you kill some of those probiotics they still have but it still has prebiotics which is the food that the probiotics need to live in your stomach. It's a process. And yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> and it's like, and it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Fermenting. So fermenting isn't hard. No. It just takes time. Yep. Okay. So now there's a few other things. Wine. Um, you mentioned apple cider vinegar. vinegar. Yep. We've talked about a little bit about kombucha. And we actually have uh, an, episode. an episode on kombucha. And kombucha is, is a fermented product. And beer. beer. I don't know a whole lot of people have made beer. Rich has dabbled, dabbled a little bit in making Bob, beer. Bob bought a kit and Did made he make it. some? Yep. Tasted okay. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think if you're used to the commercial stuff, maybe. Yeah, it, I don't know. I don't think Rich's taste was that bad. I don't know. I don't drink beer, so I don't remember. But um, he made it several times. And um, we had a wine and beer making place down by the city somewhere. Oh. And they had cheese making supplies and all that stuff. And Ooh. when we were doctoring with Chastity down there, um, they were kind of on the way oh. to the clinic. And so we stopped there a few different times. And they, I mean, it was kind of cool in there. You know, they had all the supplies for making wine and for making cheese. Yeah, they did hydroponics. And I mean, it was it was really incredible to go into their warehouse. And um, I don't oh, even warehouse, know. warehouse, not a yeah, storefront. I, yeah, no, it was it was like a warehouse. Um, and um, it was it was really interesting. And I know you could order stuff online. And I honestly don't even know if they're around anymore because we're good. talking, we're talking what? Midwest Brewery, Midwest Brew. I don't remember what it was, but, um, or is it, was it where? I don't even remember where it was. Minnetonka? I don't, yeah, if we can find what it was. Um, but yeah, it was in the, staff was real knowledgeable in there to help you figure out what you oh, wanted or what you needed. Those resources that we love. But yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting to, to go in there. We stopped there a few different times. And Rich has dabbled in making wine. I honestly, um, once again, it's one of those time, time, time. You know, you need yep. time. Um, oh, it's anything that anything that's good and for, healthy for us. Yep, it takes time. Yep, with the fermenting, it does. It does take time. Um, he made a lot of wine before we moved out to the farm, and then we kind of lost. Well, the a farm place took, to do well, a place to do yeah, it. Yeah, space you wise. Know? Yeah, space wise, there wasn't a whole lot of space, and now he's talking about starting again. He had me pick up some grape juice at oh. the grocery store the last time I was there. Um, yeah, he wants to make Jesus juice, as he calls it. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's a real basic, basic wine, but it's pretty tasty. My dad used to make it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he used where you put a balloon on top. Oh, and okay. Now Rich yep. uses a little bit fancier equipment than that. We, Yeah, he uses yeah, an airlock. I have airlocks. Yeah, too. He, he uses an airlock with it, but my dad just used a balloon on the top of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
And I was going to say, you know, and if you don't want to take the time to make it, you it is much easier to find raw fermented food nowadays. I know in Wilmer at our local Cashwise, you can um, go over in the health foods, uh, the organic section in the store and in the cooler, you will find Bubbles, Bubbles, I think is the brand name of fermented pickles and other sauerkraut. Oh, yes, I've seen those actually yep. on Azure. Azure. Yep, yeah. those are fermented and, you know, haven't been pasteurized or, or canned. A can. Pasteurized, yep. yeah. Yep. And so you, if you don't want to take the time or don't have the space or don't want to learn, but you want the benefits of the fermented food, you can go there and buy. Um, I've seen they've got sauerkraut too, I think. Okay. And Azure, I've seen on Azure's website that they have fermented foods. So you can get it out there. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to take the time to learn how to make it yourself. Have, have you ever made a fermented pickle? Have you ever done that? Yes, like a I've cucumber? tried. Yes, I've tried and have not liked the flavor. Okay. You know, it turned out crisp. It was still crisp. Um, but I did a small scale to see if I liked it. Because you still need to put something with a, is it called a tannin in it? Like a raspberry leaf, uh, oak leaf. Mm-hmm. I can't think of what the other ones are. And and to help keep it crisp, it, it's okay. It was, I ate it, um, but it wasn't my favorite. Uh, bubbles. Is it, is it a, a, a thing where you maybe could train yourself to like that? It might be. It might be because, you know, you have to train yourself to like black coffee. Mm-hmm. You have to like, you know, you know, I've trained myself to, I don't know if I want to say I like kefir, but mm-hmm. I tolerate it because I know of the health benefits. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not like it tasted bad. Yeah, it's it just different. It just was different. <laughs> you know, it's like my, my cottage cheese that I make. It is it is not bad, um, and it tastes okay, but it's not like store-bought because it does not. Once you're done with it, it doesn't have the creamy cream in it. You know, store-bought's got cream in it or something mm-hmm. or milk in it. And so it's just different. It's just different. I mean, that's like sauerkraut. You know, it's a different taste. Actually, I've had your sauerkraut that you yeah. you ferment the way you do. And I thought it was really good. It's It was so fresh tasting if that yeah. makes any sense yeah. compared to what I've had before which has either been my grandma's which she has canned yep. and I hardly remember that anymore because that's a long well, time ago for me um, or I've had it from the store where and it's your yeah and it's just it's, all <laughs> I love that yours was crunchy yeah mm-hmm. whereas the stuff that's been canned now the stuff that I've uh, fermented and then canned um, it was still crunchier than what you can buy in a can at mm-hmm. the store here in Minnesota, anyway, they have sauerkraut that's in like in a little plastic mm-hmm. bag. Yep, I've bought that. Mm, nope, nope, don't like the taste mm, of that. No, nope, nope, don't like that either. Yeah, yep, I'm right there with you. Yeah. So, but then there's there's some fermented foods that I've like. Mm, nope, not doing that again. Like tomatoes, they say you can ferment tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Do not. I you know I spit it out. <laughs> I mean, and and the first one I did, they said don't. You know, they didn't say any spices or herbs or anything in it. It just the tomato with the culture and let it ferment and it eat it on your salads. I like, no, it kind of exploded in your mouth and it was like, Ooh, no. So I don't know if I could learn to like that or not uh-huh. because then I did a batch where you did put herbs and garlic in it and pepper and I'm like, Nope, still didn't still, like it. Still didn't like, like it. So oh, I thought, that's just, Nope, I'll just eat those raw. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking about root beer. Um, our producer asked us a question about root beer ginger beers and stuff like that. Um, I would still consider them a ferment. You're using a yeast, I'm assuming, to ferment them. But I don't know how much probiotics. It may have some prebiotics in it, especially the ginger. You know, yeah, and, I don't Yeah, I don't know anything idea. about making root beer. 
you know, what are you using for your bases? Are you just using sugar and a flavoring to make your root beer? God, we've made, oh. Yeah. yeah You're going to have sugar. Made root, we've made root beer, but boy, that's a long time ago. I spend probably a quarter of my day trying to learn something. So, yeah, if you know the answer to that, um, please let us know. Send us an email or comment on either this podcast or on our Facebook page. It's Two Gals Homesteading. Our website's twogalshomesteading.com. We're also on Instagram, and we'd love to hear if somebody yeah. knows about that. That my research did not take me there. No, mine neither. I didn't even didn't come on my radar. Yeah, even beer didn't come on my no my no. Radar. That would be our husband's yeah, thing. Yeah. Anything else we want to talk about? I'm sure we've missed fermented foods, but I was oh, trying yeah. to just kind of hit the the, the high ones. The, um, ones that are more common to think about. We hit the high, high, the most common ferments, mm-hmm. and so, and of course, we always we can't cover it all in in our hour that or forty five minutes hour that we that we stretch <laughs> these out to do. You know, too bad we can't hear our producers comment in our ears. Um, yeah, it's so would it be safe to say that you can probably ferment just about any vegetable out there? Uh, yeah, I would say you could. Yeah. So Holly Howell would be great. She's from um, makingsauerkraut.com. And that would be a great question for her. Okay, so we have talked a little bit about pickling, which I'm not sure we totally grasp that whole idea of pickling because yeah. we don't do a whole lot no, of it. No, we don't do I struggle with it, so I don't do it a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, but fermenting is something that we do. And I'm sure a lot of you already do that, some of this stuff and you maybe haven't thought about it as as actually a fermenting process i mean if you eat yogurt and that's pretty common in the american diet yogurt is so i think we will end this here we still have a few another at least one more episode that will be about food preservation um we'll be talking about um freeze drying we both have freeze dryers we'll be talking about what we do and how it works it's probably the most expensive way to preserve food that's three thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not cheap, but in the long run, it probably over pays, the years. Yep, it'll pay for itself. But we'll talk about that yeah, in another week. time. We would like to thank you for joining us today and learning a little bit about fermenting and pickling processes when it comes to food preservation. You can find us at twogalshomesteading.com, dot com, two on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed our episode, please share it with your friends. Please leave a comment. Like thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. I don't, know. I, don't, I, don't I don't know. know. And let us know that you like our podcast. And if you have suggestions or questions, please let yes. us know. Yes. Can they um, go? Let's let's ask our producer. Can they go to our website and leave a question there for us? Yeah. Okay. okay so so yeah, yeah. we're told that there's a place to comment on every post. So feel free to do so. So we can check and we can. We're looking at doing an question and answer type yeah, um, that we'll podcast. collect answers that, or questions that you have for us and then we'll try we, to answer them yep, as best we can. can. So um, thanks again for joining us. We'd like to give a special thank you to PicoSupply.com for sponsoring our podcast. So until next time, okay. put some kefir on it. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Homestead Podcast's latest episode. Your hosts, Carol Radke and Jamie Kappis, are two gals homesteading. To learn more, go to twogalshomesteading.com or the Two Gals Homesteading Facebook page at facebook.com slash twogalshomesteading. Editing, audio production, and marketing of the Homestead Podcast is the responsibility of Media Transex. The Homestead Podcast is an audio product of Media Transex, a limited liability company, based in Minnesota, USA.